Lord, you are worthy to be praised. So many reasons, so many reasons, God, you are worthy to be praised. Would you remind us now as we open up your word of those reasons that you are to be praised and of how we can live our lives according to your ways, not our own. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're at the very end now of our summer sermon series through the book of Philippians. And I hope it's been more than a sermon series for you. I was trying to urge you repeatedly throughout this series to get to know the book of Philippians for yourself, on your own, spending time with God reading it. I hope that you've done that. I know that some of you have. Some of you have interacted with me about that. One of the ways that I like to get to know the Bible is to take some extended period of time, every once in a while, and just look at one book or one section of Scripture. Now, all, all my days, what I like to do, as I say here often, is I like, I like to read the Bible every day. But occasionally, as I'm doing that, I like to make some extra effort and get to know one particular section of a book of Scripture. So I'm, I'm kind of coming up with a, a short list now of books in the Bible that I know better than others. And, and hopefully that list will just keep growing and growing throughout my life. I kind of look at it as like a playbook, a football playbook. At the beginning of the football season, oftentimes the coach will give out the playbook and say, get to know this thing. Eat with it. Sleep with it. Bring it into the bathroom with you. Get to know that playbook. Well, the football players need to know the playbook for the whole season, but oftentimes what they do is they spend extra time every once in a while to get to know that playbook. And that's kind of what we've done this summer with the book of Philippians, is we've taken some extra time to get to know it. And we'll keep on doing this sort of thing here at Cornerstone, just to get to know God's word better and better. Um, but even personally, it just takes that extra motivation on our parts to get to know God's Word. And that's just one tip that I'd like to give you for doing it. Now, I've noticed one of the dangers of studying the Bible this way, though. It can be really convicting. As I have been studying this book of Philippians, there have been things that have been pointed out to me from God's Word. Like, oh yeah, how am I doing with that? So lest you think that I've just been pointing the finger at you for the last ten weeks, believe me, there have been, they say when you're pointing out, there's three fingers pointing back at you. That's, that's the way this series has been going for me. But here we are at the end of this series, and the obvious question is, what is the book of Philippians about? That's the question that I want to answer today. What's this book about? And as I thought about this question... I had several ideas of how to answer it. And uh, you might notice I'm preaching from a different Bible today. And the reason is, many of you know, I don't like to write in my Bible. So this week I got a different Bible and I, I marked it all up. As you can see, I've got like all sorts of different highlighters. Yeah. yeah. My first step towards writing. <laughs> well, then I'll put this one back on the bookshelf. And, uh, but it was fun this week just to, to get out the highlighter and... Uh, trying to figure out what overall is this book about. And what I did is I landed on three ways, three kind of different ways that we can understand the book of Philippians by looking at key words, key verses, and key passages. So that's what we're going to do today. I have three points in my sermon. Key words, key verses, and key passages. And we're going to look overall at what this book of Philippians is about. So I've got five key words to start us out. And the first one is gospel. And I'm starting with this one not because it's the most common word in Philippians, although it is repeated nine times. The reason I'm starting with it is because I think that the word gospel gets at the, the heart of Paul's ministry. So as he was writing this letter, he was thinking about the gospel message, and especially right away in chapter 1, Paul emphasized the gospel. Paul rejoiced that the Philippians had become partners with him in the gospel in chapter 1, verse 5. 
You see, the gospel message demands a response. Jesus himself said so in John 3.36. He said there's only two responses, either believe or reject Jesus Christ. Those are the only two responses. And what we see here at the beginning of Philippians is that Paul rejoiced that the Philippians had become partners with him in the gospel. He rejoiced that they had received this message and become partners with him. But the gospel, receiving the gospel, isn't the end of the story. Paul went on to say in chapter 1, verse 27, I'm just going to read the first part of it, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. You see, once we receive the gospel, we are supposed to live according to it. It is supposed to be a message that changes us. The the message doesn't end with inviting Jesus into our hearts. And the message isn't just simply about going to heaven when we die. There's all this in-between area where the gospel is continually to impact our lives on a daily basis. So Paul urged the Philippians and us to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. But it doesn't end there either because the gospel message isn't just for us to receive and follow. The gospel message is also for other people. It's to spread to others. So much of chapter 1 is about Paul's heart for spreading the gospel. Verse 12 shows how he was committed to the advance of the gospel. Verse 25 shows how he wanted the people in Philippi to progress in their faith. In chapter 2, Paul commended Timothy and Epaphroditus for working hard for the gospel. So you see, the gospel was very much on Paul's mind, that we would all know it and live according to it and then spread it to others. So how are you doing at that? Where where are you at in that process? Do you need to receive the gospel? Or do you need to focus on living it out like we all do, of course? Or maybe your application here is that you would focus on who you can spread it to, the people God has put in your life that you can proclaim the gospel message to. Okay, so that's our first key word, gospel. Our second key word is rejoice or joy. Seventeen times in Philippians we see words relating to rejoicing or to joy. Sometimes it's simply a picture of Paul rejoicing in something that was praiseworthy. He was setting an example for us in that. Other times it's a command. Three times specifically it's a command in here to rejoice, to rejoice in the Lord. And what we learn from that is that joy is not merely an emotion. Joy is a choice that we make to respond with thankfulness to God whatever the circumstances are. So are you a joyful person? Maybe what you need to do is to simply take God at his word and obey the command to rejoice. You might be surprised at how that might turn you into a joyful person. It it almost sounds like we're deceiving ourselves when we do that. Well, I'm not happy, but I'm supposed to rejoice. Well, yeah, try it. The next time you're not feeling very well emotionally, try talking to God and, and thanking him for something. Keep on doing that, and you might just change into a joyful person third key word is glory. And and this is one that I didn't pick up on until this week. So as I preach through this book of Philippians, this is kind of one that I didn't really notice, but I think it is a key word in the book of Philippians. It's in the book six times. In chapter 3, it talks about some people who are living according to their own ways. It says in 3.19 that their glory is in their shame. You see, instead of pursuing God, what they had done is they came up with their own idea of how to live life. They pursued that, and in the end, it just says that it turned out to be nothing. It was shameful. Instead of that, instead of following our own ways, we are to honor God. Three times we're told to do something for the glory of God in the book of Philippians. You might just want to reread it one more time and, and try to pick that out. 
I'll point out one of those ways specifically in point B of my sermon. But for now, just know that we are to live our lives for God's glory, not our own. Okay, and then our fourth key word is attitude. Now, unfortunately, this key word is a little bit obscure in our English translations. The word in Greek appears a bunch of times, but it's really hard to kind of translate it the same way every single time. So you don't actually see this word in English all that much, but the word appears in Philippians more than you might realize. So much of Philippians is about what goes on in our minds, about the way that we are supposed to think. We don't come into this world with a full understanding of how we should live our lives. We come into this world with our own ways, really, and we learn other sinful ways by watching the ways of this world. What we need to do is retrain our minds to be thinking about the things that God wants us to think about. That's why I've picked chapter 2, verse 5 as my key verse of the book. I'll just read it again. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. See, what we're supposed to do is set our minds on Christ and think like him. So please understand that about the Christian life, that in many ways it's about what we do, but in many ways it's about what we think. So it's about both our mind and our heart. It's about both our our actions and what we believe, what we think. And one of the key points in the book of Philippians is that we are to make sure that our minds are thinking about the right things, setting our minds on Christ. And that leads me to my fifth key word, which is Jesus Christ. This is the big one. 39 times in Philippians, Jesus Christ is mentioned, either by name or by title. And that's not counting the pronouns, the him or the you. That's not even counting the nine times the word Lord is mentioned, or the 23 times God is mentioned. So if you're looking for the simple answer, the book of Philippians is about Jesus Christ. The theologian Gordon Fee said, the whole letter from beginning to end and everywhere in between focuses on Christ. Now, I'm going to mention Christ a lot more as I keep on going through this message. But for now, please know that that Paul's letter to the Philippians was written to remind them and us that we should focus on Christ, set our minds on him. So as I come to this point now and I think about key words, I, I came up with some of my own words to describe the book of Philippians. I put this in your bulletin. This is just kind of my description at this point of what I think the book of Philippians is about. It's about knowing Christ, and becoming more like him. Knowing Christ and becoming more like him. In fact, all of our key words so far relate to Christ. Gospel is our first key word. In 127, it's the gospel of Christ. Joy was our second key word. In 126, Paul wanted the Philippians to have joy in Christ. Our third key word is glory. Well, every time the word glory appears in the book of Philippians, within one verse, we see Jesus Christ. And then our fourth key word was attitude, and I've already mentioned from 2.5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So again, the simple answer is that the book of Philippians is about Christ. The somewhat less simple, but still pretty simple answer, is that it's about knowing Christ and becoming more like him. Okay, let's move on now to point B, where we're going to look at some key verses. Okay, and just a little bit of a description here. I'm going to look at key passages in point C, and there are some key verses in those passages, but right now I'm looking at key verses that aren't in our two key passages. So is, is that clear as mud for the time being? Um, 
So we've got these five key verses. There's others I'd add, but we're going to cover those in point C. Now, does that make sense? Okay. Okay, five key verses. And my first one is actually a set of three verses. So that's, that's the only one we're doing like that. So it's, I guess that's actually seven key verses total, but you follow. You guys are sharp. You know, you know how to pick up on this. First one, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Paul says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I love this prayer. This prayer has changed how I pray. I have oftentimes just simply taken this prayer and prayed it for myself and prayed it for you, prayed it for other people. I would suggest that you memorize this prayer. No, no harm done in that, right? Um, spend the time getting to know this prayer and pray it for yourself and for other people. I love how it focuses both on us and on God. It focuses on us in that it's our love that's to increase in knowledge and that we are the ones to have discernment so that we choose between what's right and what's wrong so that we would have this fruit, the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And there we begin to see how it focuses on God and, and that it's Christ really, who produces this fruit in us. And then that last phrase there, it says, this is all to the glory and praise of God. So this is really a prayer that things would happen in us that would be honoring to God. And boy, that's, if the goal is to become more like Christ, to, to know him and become more like him, we should be praying this kind of stuff all the time. I hope that this is what your prayers sound like. Okay, next key verse Chapter 1, verse 21. Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I, this is the one where I said, I don't really know all that this verse means. In fact, you could spend the whole rest of your life trying to figure out what this verse means and still not get there. But even so, that would be a worthy goal of your life. So what does it mean that to live is Christ? Well, again, I don't know the full answer, but the more I've studied Philippians and have seen Paul's heart and seen what God wants for us, I would say that to live as Christ means that we know him and become more like him, that we set our eyes on him, that we seek to live as he would live. And and there's two other quick clues. I mentioned these as I preached through them. I just want to mention them again. What does it mean that to live as Christ? Well, you look right before that verse, in verse 20, and Paul talked about wanting Christ to be exalted in his body. So to live as Christ means that we do what we do to give Christ glory. And then right in the verse after that, Paul talked about living in the body. This will mean fruitful labor for me. So if we want to live for Christ, one of the things that we should be doing is laboring for him. That means helping other people come to know Christ, helping other people grow in their faith. A couple things of what it means to live as Christ. And I've got just a little homework assignment for you on this point. Uh, just Just a teeny little one. Spend the rest of your life trying to figure out what it means that to live is Christ. Okay? And then report to me when you're done. So. Next key verse is 127a. So just the first part of 127. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. We've already talked about that one when we talked about the key word gospel. But as, as I mentioned, gospel is an important word here. And Too many Christians treat the gospel as if it's simply a get-out-of-hell-free card. The, oh yeah, I did that. I prayed that prayer back when I was 15. I'm good. That's 
that's not that's not the full entailment of the gospel what the gospel means is that we are changed that we give our lives to God that we live for him that's why Paul says whatever happens conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ the gospel message is a message that should inform how we live every moment of every day of our lives so let's keep getting to know this gospel message and let's preach it in a way where we tell people about the full entailments of it of living for Christ not just forgiveness of sins it is that it absolutely is that praise the Lord but it's also new life in Christ okay let's move on our next key verse is 4.13 4.13 I can do everything through him who gives me strength in that verse and in its context Paul teaches us a life lesson he calls it a lesson that he learned he also called it a secret so this secret lesson he learned again isn't something that comes naturally to us it's something that we have to learn we don't come into this world automatically knowing how to live our lives so what we do is we need to realize that I can't do everything in my own strength that's what we talked about last week that Greco-Roman sort of self-sufficiency we don't trust in ourselves to get ourselves through we trust in Christ we call that Christ-sufficiency so that I can do everything through him who gives me strength what it really means is I can do whatever God allows me to do whatever, whatever God allows me to face I can face it in Christ please know that God loves you and wants you to live an abundant life I think that maybe too often we, we settle for something less or we have this lesser view of God where we think that he doesn't really want us to have good things. The truth is that God wants you to have an abundant life and the way that we have that abundant life is in Christ. And in Christ, we can do whatever God wants us to do. Our part is to remember that Christ is with us and that God will indeed give us what we need in Christ. Okay, and then our next one is 420. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Again, there's that word glory. So much of what Paul says in this book isn't just good suggestions. It's more than that. It's, it's God teaching us how we can live for his glory. Now, think of the life that Paul used to live. Before he became a missionary, he spent a bunch of his life persecuting Christians. And he came to the realization, wait a second, that doesn't honor God. He did that because he thought it honored God, but he was way wrong. And, and what he did then is said, I've been living my life in the wrong direction. What I need to do now is live my life for the glory of God. That's why he went around the whole Mediterranean basin there sharing the gospel message with people, was to honor and glorify God. So Paul sets a good example for us. And, and the reminder for us is that we are to live our lives for God's glory. Not our own glory, which, is, which would be just shame. We live for God's glory. Okay, so there we have some key verses in the book of Philippians. But what I want to do now is I want to move on to point C and look at some key passages, two key passages. And actually, I think that this is probably the best way to understand the book of Philippians. Well, first of all, by, by reading it and studying it on your own and praying. But then if you really want to get at the heart of what Philippians is about, the best way I can explain it concisely is say, let's look at these two passages. And the first one is verse, chapter 3, verses 8 through 14. So Philippians 3, verses 8 through 14. This one's in your bulletins. 
What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not, <clears throat> not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And by the way, if I had to pick a second key verse from Philippians, I would probably pick 3.8. There are a couple of you who, who did pick that as your key verse, and, and I saw those suggestions, like, oh yeah, that's a pretty good one. Uh, made me wonder if I picked the wrong one. But, uh, but in the end, no. I think I'm going to stay with 2.5 and just say that 3.8 would be my second key verse. Again, I think the overall theme of Philippians is knowing Christ and becoming more like him. Well, in this passage, Paul tells us that's his goal. That's what he is pressing on toward. I love that word, press on. Paul uses it twice. It's a word from the running world, meaning that we use in endurance and effort to pursue something. And what is it that Paul's pursuing? Christ himself. You see, Paul knew that it's only through Christ that we can have righteousness. That's what he says there in verse 9. And I love that verse. And may we all just know that that's the starting point of Christianity, okay? Uh, there are lots of ways that people could view Christianity, like, oh yeah, you, you get together and you do things and you seek God and you try to learn from Him. Yes, we do all of those things, but you must understand that we start at Jesus Christ. The only way that we can make it to God is if it's through Christ. The response that God is looking for from us is that we would put our faith in Christ. That is the beginning but then what I love about the book of Philippians is that it reminds us that that is just the beginning and there is something more to press on towards. There's a goal that God has called us to. In this passage, Paul explains that Christ is the goal. He begins with Christ. His goal is Christ. Everything else in life, according to verse 8, pales in comparison to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Is that how you view your life? that everything else is loss compared to Christ? No, I'm not saying that your family is meaningless and your job is worthless. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that everything about our lives should have to do with who Jesus Christ is. I think that's what Paul means here. He says, everything else is a loss. The only thing that counts is what I do in Christ. So then, in our families, we are to love them the way Christ did. We're to enjoy them the way Christ wants us to. In our job, we are to work as if working for the Lord so that everything about us is informed by this surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. It's in knowing Christ that we experience the power of the resurrection in our daily lives. It's in knowing Christ that we know that we have a future to look forward to. It's in knowing Christ that we know that God transforms us right now more and more into the people that he wants us to be. So we press on toward that goal. And, and I love how Paul reminds us that not even he had arrived there yet. You see, the goal of being like Christ will only be met in us when God takes us home and he finishes his work of glorification in us. We look forward to that 
But for now, we press on toward that goal. I love how it's said in verse 8 where Paul talks about knowing Christ and gaining Christ. That's what God wants for us. You see, in verse 12, we learn that Christ Jesus takes hold of us. Well, if he takes hold of us, he must have a purpose for us. In verse 14, we learn that God calls us. If he calls us, he must have a purpose for us. The purpose is that we would know Christ, that we would gain Christ, that we would become more like him. That's what we see in these wonderful verses. So again, this is a key passage. And maybe what you want to do is we want to go through the book of Philippians maybe a couple more times. Take these notes with you. Remember these key passages and key words. And and as you're reading through the book, maybe you just spend some extra time on verses 8 through 14, meditating on them, letting the truth sink into your heart, letting God speak directly to your heart. And then the other key passage I want to look at today is chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is who the book of Philippians is about. It's about him in the sense that we are to fix our eyes on him, and like chapter 2 verse 5 says, that we should have the same attitude, that one of the goals of our lives should be that as we look to Christ, that we think more and more like Him. We're to set our eyes, our minds on Him. What would we see if we set our minds on Christ? Well, it tells us in verses 6 through 8, even though He was God the Son, He emptied Himself and came for us, for our benefit. It says He came as a servant, and I love that word, servant. This has been one of the great application points for me from the book of Philippians as I've looked at this, that Jesus Christ was a servant. He came to serve us. He came to serve His Father. He didn't die for Himself. He didn't die for His own sin. He didn't have any. He came to serve the Father and to serve us. And one of the great applications for me has been, if that's the way that Jesus lived His life, that's the way that I should live my life too, as a servant looking for opportunities to serve. In humility, Jesus followed his Father and served us. That's what we see when we look like Jesus. And again, the point of Paul pointing this out is that he he says, I want you to know this about Jesus so that you can have the same attitude as him, so that you can live your lives the way that he did. It means that we should be servants. It means that we should humbly obey our Father and do what He's asking us to do. So whether it's washing the dishes or helping your neighbor rake their leaves or leading a Bible study, what is it that God's asking you to do to serve? What is it that God's asking you to do to humble yourself and to obey and to follow? We are to look to Christ. And the way we live our lives then should reflect that we are keeping our eyes on him. And as we do that again, God transforms us. We become more and more like him. People should take notice of us living as servants like Christ did. And then I love how this passage ends. 
with a reminder that eventually, because God has exalted Jesus, eventually every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord. And you know what that means? It means we're not. It means that we live our lives for God's glory. We give of ourselves to serve Him, to honor and glorify Him. The challenge here then is to live like Christ would. The challenge is to continually set our minds on Him and become more like Him. And I thought of this great, wonderful application to do this. What if we all got bracelets and on these bracelets we put four little letters on them to remind us how to do this. I was thinking WWJD, what would Jesus... No, somebody already beat me to that idea, didn't they? Okay. Was that, was that a 90s thing? Um, but you know, it was a great idea. I, I, I never had a bracelet because I'm not really a bracelet guy and I'm sure most of you have probably thrown those bracelets away by now. But it was a great point, the what would Jesus do thing. To, to ask yourself that question throughout your day, how would Jesus respond? What would Jesus do right now? So even though that was kind of a a cheesy fad that came through Christianity and is now pretty much left, the point behind it is great. What would Jesus do? Think about him. Set your minds on him. Live your life as he would. You see, our goal is to know Christ and become more like him. And that becoming more like him, that's not something we do, by the way. That's something that God does in us as we submit our lives to him, as we surrender to him and seek him. God transforms us. So there you go. That's my uh, two cents worth, maybe a little bit more than two cents. <laughs> but that's what I think the book of Philippians is about. But as I close this sermon series, I hope you know that the point of studying Philippians isn't just that we would know it, isn't just that we would understand it, it's that we would apply it. You see, I believe that the Holy Spirit oversaw the whole process of writing Scripture. I believe also that all of us who have received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord have the Holy Spirit living in us. So what we can do is we can ask God to reveal to us through the Holy Spirit what His Word means. And that's what I want you to do and to keep doing as you read Scripture and maybe as you keep on studying Philippians to say, God, what do you want me to apply? What do you want me to learn? And what do you want me to apply? So what is it for you? If you think about key words or key verses or key passages or something else, what do you need to apply from the book of Philippians. I think one great application would be to make time to set your minds on Christ. Paul talked about putting effort into that. So maybe your application is that throughout your day you want to spend time praying and reading your Bible and talking with other people about Christ and sharing Christ with people who don't yet know him and serving others. But what is it? What's your application? And and let me just ask the last question this way. What's one big takeaway for you from the book of Philippians? Maybe you want to write that down if if you've got something that's brewing in your mind right now, a big takeaway from the whole book of Philippians. Maybe you want to write that down. Or I thought, maybe even send yourself a text. Do you ever do that? Do you ever send yourself a text to remind you of something that you want to remember? Uh, I'm okay if you text in church right now, by the way. This is the one time where you can text in church. Think about one big takeaway from the book of Philippians and maybe you want to share it with somebody at lunch or even right after the worship service here. I believe God has something, many things for each of us. I just want you to be chewing on this word yourself and coming to that point of application 
so that you can know Christ and become more like Him. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for Christ. Thank You that we can know Him because You have revealed Him to us. Thank You that we can become more like Him because You do Your work of transformation in us. Thank You for the Holy Spirit who fills us and strengthens us. God, help us to live the lives You want to live. Help us to keep our minds on Christ having the same attitude as Him, knowing Him and gaining Him and becoming more like Him. God, would You do that in us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.